Good morning, church. Uh, would you have God's word now open us up to Philippians 1, verse 12 to verse 18a. Again, we'll be looking at Philippians 1, uh, verses 12 to 18a. And this is the word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. God, would you take your truths and plant it deep within? Would you shape and fashion us in your likeness? That the light of Christ might be seen in us in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Would you speak, O Lord, as your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory? Amen. Uh, Philippians, uh, this book, is about joy. However, the context of this letter, of this letter is uh, that of suffering. So, on one hand, you have the circumstances that surround Paul. They are bleak. Uh, Paul is in prison. He is suffering. And perhaps most empathetic to us is his plans or his timeline, his goals, have all been frustrated. However, on the other hand, Paul is filled with joy. In fact, he's overflowing with joy to the point that he's able to invite others the readers, you and I, to also rejoice. So, the question that naturally comes to mind then is this. How? How is it that one can be joyful while being in a difficult and trying situation? Or more simply, how can we have joy in the midst of suffering? Well, today's passage is a window into this question. Uh, Look with me at verse 12. This is what Paul says. Uh, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, Paul here, he's writing a letter to his friends. And usually when you connect with old friends, you share about how you're doing. But notice Paul doesn't share so much about how he's doing. Rather, he talks about how the gospel is doing. 
you know, I know we tend to uh, compartmentalize the gospel along with all the other things in our lives, right? We have work, we have family, we have school, we have friends, and then we have the gospel. Uh, and we see this in just the ways that we ask questions. We ask, uh, how's your family doing? Uh, how's work? And how are you doing in your walk with Christ? Now, the reason why we uh, you know, divide this is just out of convenience to organize our thoughts. But it's also because we don't allow certain spheres of life to influence other spheres of life. Right? But... You know, for Paul, it seems that he doesn't know how to talk about himself without talking about the gospel. And so, uh, this man, the Apostle Paul, uh, even though he's in chains, even though he's in prison, uh, even though his situation is a difficult one, he can't help but talk about the gospel advancing. As he, as he uh, considers just souls being uh, one for the kingdom, as he considers how souls are being loosened from the grips of sin and death, Paul, he's filled with joy. You know, friends, this is the secret to true joy. You know, true joy is always rooted in something outside of you. And in the Christian sense, true joy, or for the Christian, true joy is rooted in something outside of you, namely the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is Lord. You know, if this becomes your source of joy, the Bible tells us that there is nothing in this world, no situation, no circumstance that can ever take that away. Despite whatever might be going on in your life, Jesus is still Lord. The gospel is still true. Despite the good or the bad in your life, despite success or failure, health or sickness, uh, fruitfulness or loneliness, even life or death, because Jesus is still Lord, you can have lasting joy. See, this is how the Bible describes true joy. It is in something that is outside of us, in the gospel, in the news that Jesus is Lord. Uh, you know, during the, uh, the quarantine season right now, my family, we've been uh, cooking a lot of our meals in a smoker. Now, the great thing about a smoker is that it will maintain the temperature that it's set to. And with real low and steady heat through smoke, um, it'll cook anything and make things that are tough real tender. Now, the best thing about a smoker is, uh, is that it doesn't really matter what's going on on the outside. The external variables, it doesn't really affect the cook. It doesn't matter what the weather is, the temperature is. It can be raining, snowing, cold, or hot. It's the same temperature inside, regardless. Uh, as to timing, uh, you know, I know cooking uh, is all about timing, and uh, the window of or the margin of error is small when it comes to um, cooking and timing. But with the smoker, um, 
it's so forgiving. You can leave it in there for a bit longer, a bit shorter, and it comes out about the same. You see, the beauty of the smoker is that it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. The inside is always the same. And every time you know, we go to open up um, the smoker, we get tender and smoky, smoky food. See, this is, in a sense, what Christian joy looks like. Yes, things may be going on in your life. The winds and, and, and the waves may come upon you. The temperature may change. But Christian joy is unchanging because it's rooted in something outside of you. Friends, I don't know if you've ever wondered why... Um, I don't know if you ever wondered why um, joy is at times so fleeting. Do you ever feel like joy is this never-ending pursuit, like you're chasing after the wind? Well, if that's the case, it's because you're trying to find joy in something inside you or in circumstances you can control, whether it be relationships, a career, in possessions, or achievements. And the reason why these things cannot give us lasting joy is because it's simple. Because these things in themselves are not lasting. But, you know, God's word promises to us today. If you make the gospel your source of joy, if the good news that Jesus is Lord is your source of joy, it's not the gospel plus your success, or the gospel plus your achievements. Not the gospel plus your dreams, but if the source of your joy is simply the gospel. If your joy is rooted in the good news that Jesus is Lord, you can have and experience true and lasting joy. Again, I want to be clear, it's not the gospel plus your happiness, but simply the gospel. And the gospel is your happiness. See, this is the reason why Paul can go from being a Jewish prodigy to a Christian pioneer to a persecuted prisoner and yet be filled with the same joy. Paul, he can be stripped not only of his reputation, but he can be stripped of his own flesh through physical beatings and floggings. Yet, He can rejoice in the midst of it all. Still, he is unchanged. Still, he is overflowing with joy. Why? Because true joy, friends, is never contingent upon circumstances, no matter how shameful or how painful. But true joy rests in the truth that Jesus is Lord. You know, for those of you who are a bit skeptical, for those of you who think, you know, that that is just too simplistic. Are you telling me that joy is just found in this news that Jesus is Lord? For those of you being a bit skeptical, I mean, just consider the alternative. Consider what the world offers. Uh, You know, occasionally I like to just uh, rummage around the Internet, just look through it, uh, looking at different journals to see how important topics are uh, discussed 
right? I like to just see how, you know, what the trending discussions on uh, important topics are. Topics such as joy. And uh, this week I did that. Now, before I started the research, I, I had to ask um, my personal assistant. Uh, I had to ask Siri, right? Uh, I asked Siri how I can find joy. I said, how can I find joy? I know it's a profound question to ask Siri. Um, well, Siri didn't miss a beat. She asked me right away. She said, which joy? Right, deep, right? Well, then she said, uh, which joy? Joy Kim or Joy Lee? <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, their names in my contacts. Um, but as I was sort of looking through what, you know, what culture was saying about joy, uh, there seems to be two general trends when it comes to discussions on joy. First, I think the most popular is uh, people are telling us uh, to find joy in small things. That seems to be the, the, the trendy uh, way in which we find joy. All right, people are saying find joy in small things. Uh, appreciate the mundane. Appreciate the normal things in life. Find joy in the small uh, things that go unnoticed. Now, uh, I'm not against appreciating small things. In fact, I think this time has really taught us to, to appreciate um, the small things in life. But, I mean, come on, if you're telling us to find joy in small things, I mean, if, if, if you're trying to, if you're, if you're domesticating transcendence, right, saying, hey, you can find joy in just the small things in life, I think that's a bit insulting and demeaning. Sure, joy thing, uh, small things may help us to appreciate more, but to give us joy? I think that is a bit insulting. Now, the second alternative that we find is um, what's called uh, condoning philosophy. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but uh, it's popularized by someone named uh, Marie Kondo. Um, she talks about um, uh, how things spark joy, how possessions can spark joy because uh, it, it, it holds a, a special place in your life. Uh, within possessions, there are memories and there's utilization um, and there's an attachment. Um, that's what sparks joy. Um, you know, friends, I don't think that any of these options are any good. So let me give you an alternative. Let me give you what the gospel or what the Bible says. And that's put your joy or let your joy be in the gospel. Now, with respect to that, I think there are three important things that, um, that we can find in Paul's confession in today's passage. Uh, there are three things uh, in today's passage, that really evidence his joy in the gospel. Uh, the first is found in verse 13. If you look with me, Paul, he talks about how he's so joyful because while he's in jail, uh, his testimony about Jesus is being shared among the prison guards. And he's joyful because of that. That's great, right? Well, you know, the irony is... Um, Paul was actually imprisoned because he was out there sharing the gospel. 
In other words, Paul was already out there advancing the gospel. Right? He was already out there doing that work. And so the question is, why does he have to be in prison to do what he was already doing? You know, as I thought about this, you know, I thought, if I was Paul, um, I might be tempted to think, God, what are you doing? Right? I was out there advancing the gospel already. I was reaching more people. The work that I was doing was more strategic. It was more effective. But now here I am in prison. I'm in jail. And now I'm only reaching a select few. Do you know how ineffective this is? That's what I would have thought. But for Paul, it seems it doesn't matter where he's at, whether he's in public or private, whether he's reaching masses or a select few, whether this gospel advancement is strategic or haphazardous. Paul doesn't seem to care if gospel advancement is according to his plan or not. His only concern is, is the gospel going out? Not, how is the gospel going out? Not, in what manner is it going out? Not, with what resources is it going out? Not, is it going out efficiently and effectively? No. The question for Paul is simply, is the gospel going out? Yes. Then I rejoice. Friends, have you ever been disappointed that... um, While the gospel was going out, it wasn't advancing according to your expectations and your plans. Um, Well, if that's the case, it just might be that your joy was not in the gospel itself, but in your own expectations and plans for the gospel. You know, if I can just explain a little bit, um, you know, honestly, Uh, I face this, I think, almost on a daily basis. Is the gospel advancing? Sure. But if I'm honest, it's often not to my liking. It's not to my preference. It's not to my speed, not to my plan. You know, I feel this whenever I think about um, our church and the universal church. Sure, the gospel is going forth. It's not what I had envisioned. You know, this passage revealed for me at least that often I couple the joy of the gospel with my own preferences and my plans. Is the gospel advancing? Yes. Then that should be enough. God doesn't need me to run numbers and do analytics and sell him on my stupid plan as to how to best advance his message. You see, God calls us to just rejoice in the gospel, period. You know, and I think this means that for a lot of Christians, uh, there's going to be a lot of laying down of expectations and plans that we might have to do. Is your joy in the gospel? Or is your joy in the gospel coupled with your own plans and expectations. If it's the latter, there is some laying down that you have to do. Uh, The second evidence of 
Paul's genuine joy in the gospel is found in verse 14. Paul says this, um, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, if you think about what Paul is saying here and just just sort of his situation, right? Paul, he is um, in many ways the pioneer of Christian gospel ministry, right? He's the one who first initiated gospel work across boundaries, right? He is, in a sense, the star quarterback. But in this instance, um, he's been sidelined. Still, we find Paul, he rejoices. He's filled with joy. Because, as he says in verse 14, because now others have gained the courage to speak the gospel more boldly. This, I think, is a powerful testament that for Paul, gospel, gospel ministry was never about him. Whether he was on the field, whether he was leading the team, or whether he's on the sideline, whether he's benched, it doesn't matter. Because for Paul, his joy was in the gospel itself, not his role in gospel ministry. You know, I recall a while back, a uh, young Christian in college wrote to me an email um, saying that uh, he's been a Christian his entire life, but he wasn't growing spiritually. And as a result, he was thinking about walking away from the faith. And he wrote to me um, asking for advice, sort of a a Dear Abby type thing. He wrote, Dear Pastor, um, I've been a Christian my entire life. I haven't been growing. I'm thinking about deserting the faith. And so in response, I uh, sent to him an article. I sent him an article about the growth and the explosion of Christianity in Africa, despite immense persecution. And I wrote him a letter, attached this article, and I said, hey, read this. Read this and tell me if you don't feel anything. Well, uh, this student wrote back shortly, and he wrote a sharp response saying, what does this have to do with me? I'm not experiencing this or growing spiritually like the people of Africa are. When I saw the response, that's when I realized that His Christianity, his brand of Christianity, his belief in the gospel was in some mutated way self-centered. Now, I can't be too hard on him because as 21st century Christians, um, I think we all exhibit parts of this in our own way. Um, People, we're we're, we're often more interested about the work of the gospel in our own life than in other people's lives, aren't we? Right. We care about gospel advancement in our own church than other churches. Right? We're often more engaged and excited when we are the ones doing and experiencing gospel advancement. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we see others doing really well in the gospel, we start to think, what about me? Friends, joy in the gospel liberates us from both self-pity 
and self-centeredness. You know, this is the real challenge. Take joy in the gospel itself. Right? And so next time, um, next time you hear news from the mission field, you get a newsletter from a missionary, uh, just stories of grace. Right? Or next time you see a brother or sister make profession of faith and get baptized. Next time you see the work of the gospel in others. Can you rejoice in the same way? Can you rejoice in the gospel without thinking about yourself? You see, the amazing thing about Paul is, you know, he can ask, what about me? Why am I in here? Why did you place me here? Why am I not out there? But no, as he thinks about how the gospel is advancing, as his source of joy is the news itself that Jesus is Lord, and as he considers how this is going forth, it doesn't matter what he's going through or what he's enduring. See, with joy in the gospel, there is a self-forgetfulness that comes. You start to forget about yourself. Not deliberately, not intentionally, but just naturally. Because your intention, your focus, is upon the good news. Now the third evidence that we find um, of Paul's genuine joy in the gospel is found in verse 18. You know, the situation is, um, you know, Paul had a lot of rivals during that time. There was a lot of competition. But as Paul sees that while he's in jail, uh, the people around him, his competitors, are making moves... This is what Paul says in verse 18 as he considers that. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You know, this is a very interesting situation because, um, you know, while Paul, while he's sidelined from gospel ministry, while he's away in prison, um, there's a lot of tension that was going on a lot of competition. Um, and there was a lot of division among Christian circles. And so we see that here, um, Paul's competition, or his rivals, shall we call them, uh, they use this as a good opportunity. They think, well, he's sidelined. Let's take advantage of this. Now, those of you at home, you might be disgusted by this. right? This is everything that Christians today despise. Church politics, uh, Christians jockeying for position. You know, frankly, I'm embarrassed by it too. But if it's of any encouragement, I just want you to know that some of the church politics that go on, it's not unique to us. Paul faced it too. But I want you to see, not the environment or the fighting that's going on or the competition or the the petty um, rivalry. But I want you to look just at how he responds. Look at what Paul says. He says, basically, despite everything that's going on, despite all the ulterior motives, all the stupidity, Christ is preached. And as a result of that, I rejoice. That's what Paul says. I rejoice. You know, friends, 
Is this how we respond? Is this how we respond to some of the ugly mess that we see in Christendom today? Do we look over at different organizations, different ministries? Do we see uh, different leaders? And do we think, wow, no, I wouldn't do that. No, that's not right. Or now, you know, this person, now he's, he's got ulterior motives. Uh, this, this woman, you know, she's, she's jockeying for power. Or do we just simply say, the gospel is going forth. And in that I rejoice. You know, this passage, three things as we talked about. First, it shows us how joy in the gospel allows us to rejoice when things don't go according to plan. Second, this passage shows us that joy in the gospel uh, allows us to rejoice when we're not at the center. And third, most difficult, is joy in the gospel allows us to rejoice even when we're being threatened, misunderstood, and mistreated. And so the question for all of us, for Christians, this morning, I would like to pose is this. Where is your joy? Is it in the gospel plus your advancement? Is it in the gospel plus your dreams? Or is it in the gospel itself? You know, I'd like to close by just simply sharing um, a story that I think encapsulates all of this. Um, Many people are familiar with the uh, story of Jim Elliot. Uh, he was the martyr uh, who was killed by the, uh, the Aka Indians while doing mission work. However, Jim Elliot had a wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, who uh, lived uh, many, many years after him and continued gospel ministry. Now, many people uh, haven't heard the story of uh, Elizabeth Elliot and uh, the the story of loss that she experienced even before she married Jim. Now, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, before she even married a missionary, she was a missionary herself. Uh, she worked in Ecuador, uh, ministering among the Colorado Indians. Now, she was tasked um, to minister to the Colorado Indians by um, learning their language um, and translating scripture so that they can understand. But the interesting thing was, or the difficult thing was, that the Colorado Indians, they had an oral language. It was unwritten. And so what Elizabeth had to do was she had to live among them, she had to learn the language, and she also had to um, create an alphabet. So she had to not just learn the sounds and the patterns and the structures, but she had to create their own alphabet. She had to document everything. And she was tasked with another missionary of translating all of this. Now, um, as she was laboring um, among the Colorado Indians, just learning their language, again, this is without the help of a, a, a language dictionary or even computers, um, while she was doing this work, she had a, a helper, an Indian informant. Um, now, about halfway in this work, 
this informant, he gets killed. He gets murdered. And no one ever learned what happened. And so his death was a blow uh, to Elizabeth um, personally, but also the work that they were doing. But Elizabeth labored on. She continued to press on. Uh, about a year passed. She lived in the jungle, ministering, learning, writing everything that she learned down. And she finally completed the task of creating this alphabet, of getting a good grasp of this language. And she documented everything, all handwritten notes, charts, and everything. She packed it in a suitcase and she gave it to a fellow missionary who would then begin the work of Bible translation. However, as she passed this suitcase off, um, and as it was in the possession of this local missionary, um, the suitcase was stolen. It was stolen, and there was no backup files. And the entirety of her work was just gone like that. A year of intense labor was lost in a moment. Elizabeth, um, in anger, in disappointment, in despair, she starts to question everything that's going on. She starts to question her own calling, wondering, am I supposed to be here? She starts to question, uh, more fundamentally, God's interest in the salvation of the Colorado Indians. She starts to think, God, do you even care about gospel advancement? Do you even care about mission work? Why would you allow something like this to happen? And she was dumbfounded. She was in despair. Just every night as it haunted her that everything she did was just down the drain. And she was so furious at whoever stole the suitcase, thinking that person probably stole the suitcase and threw away that priceless paper. You know, Elizabeth Elliot in her autobiography, she shares that she didn't get so much um, a detailed answer from God. When I asked God, how can you let this happen? Why is this going on? But the answer that she got was just simply this. Am I enough? Can you trust me? The answer that she got from God was simply, is the gospel enough? Is this good news? Can it be your joy? Not the gospel plus ministry fruitfulness. Not the gospel plus your labors. Not the gospel plus, plus accomplishments. But can just this gospel be your joy? And, you know, when she realized this, she writes this in her autobiography. She says this, Christ is sufficient. She says, we don't need support groups for each and every separate tribulation that we face. The most widely divergent sorrows may all be taken to the foot of the same old rugged cross and find their cleansing peace, and joy. Friends, 
would you at this time consider what is the source of your joy? What is it that gives you joy? Can we say with Paul that it is the gospel and the gospel alone? That my joy is not the gospel plus my happiness, but the gospel is my happiness. Whether I'm in the center of it, I can rejoice because the gospel is advancing. Whether it's according to my liking, my preference, my plan, I can rejoice because my joy is in the gospel alone. And even if I'm being harmed, persecuted, if I'm facing troubles and trials, I can still rejoice because my joy is in the gospel. Friends, this morning I want to remind you that whatever goes on in your life, whatever is going on in this world, if we place our joy in the good news that Jesus died for us and rose again and as a result he is Lord and King of this world no matter what goes on in your life your joy can never be taken away no matter how deep your sins are the cross can be your source of joy this is the good news for us this morning will you accept it Will you place your joy in this? Join me in prayer at this time.